this morning, church. And uh, man, I, um, I'm so thankful for our worship team. I'm so thankful for our volunteers. You know, there's so much that goes into what we do and accomplish every week. And man, it's so, so little of me or, you know, and, and so much of just so many people and, and, and most of all, just the provision of the Lord to just bring us here together and just be able to worship Him. And, and you know, I, I just want to get us into where we're at this morning. Uh, you can turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're still going to be in James together. And uh, just to kind of catch us up, you know, a lot of times when you come into a sermon, I've said this before, when you come into a sermon uh, after the first week, if you haven't been here, then it kind of feels like you're walking into a movie uh, in the middle of it. And so, uh, you know, we're going through this series through the book of James called Working from Victory. And like Brother Garen said in the beginning of service, this is this idea that, that everything that we do as a Christian, our faith lived out through works, is out of this perspective of what Jesus has done on behalf of his people, on behalf of his children. And then that in that, working from that victory, there should be this sense of confidence. There should be this sense of encouragement. There should be this this sense of peace and knowing that everything that I do as a Christian in my accomplishments and in my faults is from this place of victory that Jesus has already obtained for me and that he has held on for me. And, and uh, so last week, church, when we were discussing uh, and we were still in, in chapter one, we talked about comparison and, and in the midst of our trials, in the midst of just life in general, we came to this conclusion. Our sermon in a sentence last week was not to let comparison keep you from faithful living, whether that was not feeling like we measure up or not that we're not good enough or even elevating ourselves to feel like we're too good for it. And so, you know, kind of seeing what the Lord had for us in that and and knowing that in our best effort to live a faithful life for Christ, we can't allow comparison to corrupt us, but hopefully construct us and be a tool that God uses for us as we can encourage each other and we can be a help for each other and how we function and how we live as believers in this world. And so, you know, the kind of the common theme uh, is that our perspective determines our progress. Okay, because we're talking about trying to see work from victory, see from the victory that Jesus has laid before us. And so our, our, our hope through this series is that our perspective would be changed in how we move and how we function and how we live as Christians in this world. And, um, you know, the, the common thread that we've been talking about and that really continues on through the end of, of, of the book and that really continues into even what we're going to talk about this morning. It goes from trials and, and kind of the outward pressures of the world where this morning we're going to shift just a little bit. And it's going to go from the outward pressures of the world to the inward drawings of the things within us in our temptations in our temptations. And um, man, I just all cards on the table this morning, just to be very honest. Uh, you know, a lot of times I've sat under these types of sermons and we hear when we talk about sin specifically, which is what most of what we're going to talk about this morning is really about. A lot of times we sit back and we listen to someone talk about sin, preach on sin. And, and yes, I believe in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I believe we should be challenged. I should believe we should uh, have a sense uh, where we're acknowledging our sin and understanding what it does to us. But a lot of times we sit and we listen to someone preach on these things and we have this sense of like they have it all figured out. Well, all cards on the table this morning as we get into this, I need you to know that I am a sinner, okay? That I am a sinner that falls to temptation and is constantly tempted. 
And so just hear me this morning that I'm not speaking to you from this place of that, that I have it all figured out. But I hope that we are stepping into this together to see what the Lord has laid before his people as we fight and work through and then kind of subtitled this morning, overcoming our temptations. Overcoming those things that are laid in our life that are drawing us into things, drawing us away from the Lord, drawing us away from this perspective of working from victory, but living more in the whether it's the shame and guilt of our temptation and the sin that it leads to or, or just in our inability or lack of in our life. And, and, you know, I love the progression of this in this book, because like last week, the weeks before we've talked about trials and the pressing against us. And if we're honest with ourselves, the times that we fall to temptation the most is when the pressures around us in our life are the hardest. Right. When life is difficult, when things are difficult, because what are we doing in those times in our life when our lives are just swamped with busyness or, or, or hardships or difficulties? We're grasping for straws. We're grasping for whatever we can find for some normalcy, for some comfort, for some stability. For some, for some fulfillment. We're just reaching for whatever's there. And so a lot of times when our life is being pressed on by the trials of life is the mo- most likely time where we're going to fall into the temptations of life. And that's what James really lays out for us this morning. I think it's, it's just such a beautiful transition for us to see. And like I said, as we speak about this this morning, I don't want you to hear me speaking of it from some high pious place because I'm a sinner like you. I fall to temptation as you do and and I'm constantly having to grasp for something more than myself to carry me through those things and where James is going to direct our attention this morning is where to be grasping for. What to be grasping for. And so to really just kind of begin this this morning I think we need to lay out what is sin specifically. Sin specifically is breaking the law of God as established by God in the Old Covenant. You know, and in a lot of ways, just to condense that, just to kind of help ourselves understand, like, well, have I broken any of those things? The Ten Commandments is always a good, uh, a good place to go to. And, uh, you know, more than likely, we've broken one or any. I mean, Jesus told his people, uh, he lays it out there. He's like, hey, uh, the Ten Commandments say don't murder. Well, I say, hey, don't be angry. Don't hate your brother or you've committed murder. You know, he says, you know, the Bible, it says not to, to commit adultery. But I say, hey, if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. So you just see that as we look at God's law, And as we evaluate ourselves, we've broken some of these laws. And the Bible tells us if you've broken one, you've broken them all. So in breaking God's law, we've already fallen short in that. So we have already sinned. You know, and then the other thing being rebelling against God. And we may not be in active states of rebelling against God, but when we commit sin, we are in a sense rebelling against God. And this isn't so much, you know, we we always say, well, that's not fair. I, I didn't choose to do this. But in reality, in our broken, sinful nature, this is what we are born with. And we are walking into this life. We are walking in this Christian life, fighting against the temptations and the deceptions of the enemy around us. And Paul says this to the church of Corinth. He says uh, in 2 Corinthians eleven three, he says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So he's acknowledging, Paul's acknowledging that as we walk through this Christian life, we are hearing things constantly. We are constantly being uh, tempted. We are constantly trying, the enemy is trying to deceive us, to make us believe, like I said, when pressures are coming against us, that we need something more than Jesus to find fulfillment, satisfaction, and uh, importance and value and worth in our life. 
And so what we see this morning is James lays this out because the thing that we need to understand, and as we talk about this, we're hearing that I'm a sinner. We're hearing that I'll fall short. But also we need to understand that as a child of God, that we are both sinner and saint. We are both sinner and saint. I heard, I saw somebody argue on, on social media one time, uh, which people feel like they all, everybody has a platform on social media. But uh, his, his big deal was a, a Christian should not ever call himself a sinner, but he should call himself a saint. That you are no longer a sinner, you're now a saint. And that you should never make, there should always be that distinction. But for me, I just have trouble with that. Whenever Paul would say, as a believer, he would say that Jesus Christ came to save uh, sinners who I am the chief of. Paul is called. He says, I'm, I'm a sinner. Like, I still fail. Like, for me as a Christian to ever say, well, I'm a saint and I'm not a sinner anymore, would tell people who are walking through these trials and temptations, well, you must be doing something wrong. That you're not to the, to the hierarchy of Christian that I am. And we know that God's view from above us has us all level and there is no Christian that is better than any other Christian because we are all striving and stepping and grasping to make sense of this life that we're walking through. So church, understand that as a Christian this morning, yes, we are saints, but we are also sinners. And so Paul, I mean, James, we know specifically is speaking to believers when he is saying this in the book of James this morning. Because he's writing, remember, to in the beginning we talked about those who have been scattered, though in the, those in the disbursement who are, who are not collected together. They are experiencing trials and persecutions and these pressures and, and temptations to fall back into sinful ways. And so he's telling them. He's giving instruction to Christians here who are both sinners and saints, walking through trials and walking through temptations. And so this morning that's what we see. And so, But what James wants to give us is, is instruction on what to be looking for, what to be grasping for. Because like Paul... Paul says, he says, we don't have to be ruled by our sinful nature. He says in Romans 6, verse 12 and verse 14, he says, let not sin therefore reign or rule in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He says, sin does not have to make you obey what it wants to do. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And it's that perspective. It's that perspective. And we're going to kind of see this as we move forward. He says it's because you're not under the law. He says because you're not under this law that showed you that you broke the sin, that you committed sin by breaking the, the law, God's law. He says you're not under that anymore. You're under grace. And so he's shifting our perspective to help us understand this. Because even in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel would say this. He says, I have, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord. And he says, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. God's desire and intention for us is to live. That's what God wants for us. God does not want to see us go to hell. God does not want to see us be what we'll talk about when we talk about death, eternally separated or just even momentarily separated from him. He does not want that for us. He says he wants us to live. And so this morning, church, as we kind of get into the actual sermon, that's kind of the intro. But as we get into it this morning, this is our sermon in a sentence this morning. The one thing that I hope that we can take away from this morning is this is to don't be fooled by your feelings. Don't be fooled by your feelings. Because church, what we'll realize this morning is that the way we feel is rarely a productive path and usually leads us to sin, usually leads us away from the Lord. Don't be fooled by your feelings. 
how we move in a direction of dealing with and overcoming our temptations is, is this starting point this morning is not being fooled by our feelings. And so two things this morning, two things that I believe that, that we have to kind of stick to, that we draw to an understanding to help us move beyond temptation, to help us overcome and walk through and endure temptation are these two things this morning. The first thing that we need to understand as we face temptation is that it is not him. It's me. It is not him speaking of God, but it's me. And we're going to read verses 13 down to verse 18 this morning. Read that with me in James chapter 1. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures." So church, the first thing is understanding this perspective that it's not him, it's me. And we see that in verse 13. He says, let no one say I'm being tempted by God. When our circumstances get very difficult, when we find ourselves in a certain mindset or certain uh, progression of activity, a lot of times we find ourselves complaining against God. God, why have you done this? Why have you allowed me to fall into this sin? God, why have you give it, put this in my life so that I would fall to it or, or be sinful uh, and and questioning his love, resisting his will. This is usually the time when we push against God. But Proverbs 19.3, it tells us this, kind of continuing on with that theme. He says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Isaiah 63.17, he says, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear, we fear you not? You know, these are the moments when we find ourselves falling to temptation. We find ourselves just pressed in by the enemy around us, being deceived and being tempted. He tells us here that these are the moments when the enemy whispers into our ears the most. This is the, the moment whenever he has us grasping for something more. He tells us that we need something more. And we not only begin to blame God, but a lot of times if we're honest, when we are sinning, what do we want to do? We want to blame others. We want to say, well, this, it's, so, it's so-and-so's fault that I'm doing this thing. It's so-and-so's fault that I'm acting this way. Whether it's a, a husband blaming a wife, a wife blaming a husband, a, 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 someone blaming their employ, employer that if, if my job was better, then I wouldn't act this way or I wouldn't do these things. If my marriage was better, then I wouldn't act this way or do these things. We begin to blame our, the external things. We begin to look outside of ourselves and say that it's not my fault that these things are happening, that it's my circumstances the reason that these things are happening blaming other people or situations for the things that we do that pull our focus off of Jesus. And the reality is how much, man, I love the Bible so much because it's so applicable. Church, this is the very, this is the very excuse that we've been using since the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that Adam said this. He said, the man said, the woman who you gave me, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Even in the very beginning of sin, we were blaming others. We were, God, you gave me this, and then, and then, then she gave it to me, and then I, I ate it, but it, it's not me. 
It's not me. It was her. And then not only was it her, but it was you. This is what you gave me. And so we remember in the Bible in the beginning, God said everything was good. And so he said that it was good that man not be alone, that it was good that you had Eve. It was good that you had everything you had. But then for us, in our perspective, and when the enemy whispers into our ear and we sin, what do we do? We begin to blame and, and take the, th- the good things that God has given us and turn them into bad things. Say that those things are bad, that that's not good for me. You gave that to me and then it caused me to sin. But we know that it's not the things outside of us. And that's not anyone else's fault. But verse 14 says this, but each person is tempted. Church, and this is something that we need to understand, we cannot avoid. Because the reality is, if our biggest problem and the biggest pushback even against Christianity as a whole isn't so much the idea of God and what God does, but it's the moral accountability of who God is. We, we don't want to believe that there's a God or we don't want to believe that there's a moral God because we don't want the accountability to tell us whenever we're doing something wrong. We want to look outside of ourselves and say it's other things or they're wrong or they're doing this or they're doing that. But the reality is each person is tempted. And, and I love that this moment and our kids are learning this verse right now. But the moment Jesus came and the so that through him the whole world might be saved is spoken you and I, being a part of the whole world, were outed as sinners. He said he died for the whole world. He died for all. And that there's none of us that are, are separate or pulled out from under the effects of sin. That sin is there and it is present and it is effective in, 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 a, in, in drawing us in and tempting us. But the thing that we have to understand is, but each person is tempted, that I am tempted. And that not only am I tempted, but I am a sinner. Augustine said this, and I love this quote, that the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. That the first good work we ever do in our life is admitting our evil works. That that we fail, that we make mistakes, and that this isn't an admission to be shameful, or this isn't an admission to, to hinder us, as we'll kind of understand as we move forward, but this is us acknowledging that there is something broken within us. We have to acknowledge that there is something broken within us before we can ever expect that that thing within us to begin to be fixed. He says that each person is tempted and true confession starts with full responsibility. We have got to stop blaming God or other people for the sin that we commit. It's us. It's us. And that doesn't have to be hopeless. It's us. I I stood up here this morning and admit to you, I sin. I've sinned this week. I probably sinned yesterday. I may have sinned this morning. We have become such nature for us that we, make, we do these things that break God's laws. But we need to understand that it's not from outside of us, but it's within us. Verse 14 tells us this. It says, when he, that he is tempted, when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. This word, this phrase, lured and enticed, communicates tactics of, for hunting or trapping. This idea of baiting a trap and enticed. In the original Greek, it means to bait a hook. You know, and if we think about this in the terms at which it presents us to us, is, is very much like fishing, right? I, I, I'm not very good at fishing, but I have been fishing before. The, the last time I went fishing, uh, I, I caught nothing. And so me and my wife said, we're not leaving empty-handed. So we went to the Mennonite ponds and caught a whole ton of stuff. and said, we are not leaving empty-handed. But, you know, we think about it in the, in the terms of this of fishing. And that it, the hook is baited uh, and, and it is thrown out and it is dangled in front of the fish. And it's enticing them, come and take hold of me. 
and, and as soon as they take hold, it, the, the fish is brought in. And so it's this idea that there are things that are laid before us that are playing on our desires. Or, or another word for desires is being lust. Lust isn't always applicable just to sexual sins, but it's talking about the desires of the flesh, the lusts of our flesh. And, and that's what it says, that that is coming from within us. The problem isn't so much outside of us, but our lust from within us. It's our feelings. If, if, if it's, that's an easier way to understand lust, it's the way that we feel. You know, we've talked about this before, even to, in regards to happiness. That happiness is more like the temperature in the room that it changes, right? That our feelings change depending on our circumstances. And, and like we said in the beginning of this book, we're talking about trials and, and all these things pressing against us. The way that we feel changes with the things that are around us and the things that are coming against us. And so he's trying to shift our focus from the outside to the inside and understand that the lusts are coming from within us, that it's our feelings. And that, that, that the problems that we step into and the sins that we commit, they're not anyone else's fault, but they're our own from within us. Psalm 7, or Proverbs 7, verse 15, he says, He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that He has made. And then He continues on. And He lays this out for us in verse 15. He says, Then that desire, when conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin brings death. The reality is what we understand from that, ver that portion of the verse is that sin is rarely a single act. It's usually a progression. It's usually a progression. And I just want to read really quick to you, and you can write this down and read it later, but Proverbs chapter 7, Proverbs chapter 7 gives such a beautiful progression. I say beautiful in a sense of just really detailed about how we find ourselves in sinful situations, how we find ourselves falling to our temptations and our desires. And in Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 6, we see this. We see this layout. And it's talking about the adulteress. And this is talking about the, the enticing of our lusts or the lust of our flesh. Like I said, not specifically just sexual, but just in regards to what our, our flesh needs. And in verse six, and I'm going to read these verses just so that we hear them. He says, for at the window of my house, I have looked out through the lattice, through my lattice. And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner. So we see this man that is passing near the corner of this so-called adulteress. And he says, taking the road to her house, putting himself in these, the, the vicinity of this area, in the vicinity of this, this temptress. And he says, in the twilight, in the evening, in the nighttime, in the darkness, he said, he's, he's going in this place. He says, at the time of night and darkness. And he said, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market and at the corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. Do you see how our temptations, how our desires are affected by the places that we put ourselves in and understanding that there is always that hook dangling before us? And that not only is that hook dangling before us, but that temptation, that sin is looking for us. I love how it says it's waiting it was waiting. Not only was it waiting, but it says that, that she's loud and, and, and she bring, draws attention to herself. Those things that tempt us, church, they draw us in. They bring attention to themselves. Not only that, but it says that she seized him. 
That she, she sees him and kissed him. I mean, what more term of endearment is that? And that's what our temptation, our desires do to us. They grab a hold of us. They make us feel good. They make us feel important. They make us feel like they're, we're being fulfilled. We're being satisfied. It says that it seized him and kissed him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today I've paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you. I've come for you. I want to give you something. I want to provide you with something. I want to fulfill you with something. This is how our temptations work. He says, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored with linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us make our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. You know, and moving on further down, it says, with seductive speech, she persuades him. With smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. And I don't know what you know about the liver, but the liver is very vascular. If the liver is pierced, you instantly can bleed out. So it's talking about a kill shot, basically. This is what our temptations do to us. They compel us. They draw us in. Our sinfulness, uh, th these desires from within us, they're drawing us in. And it's this series of decisions and situations, small or big, that lead us to moments of sin. And it says that it, sin leads to death. And this word death, it strictly means separation. And so when we allow this process, we, we take these steps that put us in the place where our temptations are most, uh, are, are most drawn to and where we're, we're encouraged and enticed and lured in. It says that, that as that happens, as this process happens, it says our, our, that our desires are conceived. That there's this process of conception, that it gives birth to sin and then the sin happens. So remember, temptation itself is not the sin, but sin is an action. And so it tells us that, that, that just having the temptation does not make us sinful. It does not lead to death. But when those things are, are conceived, when those things are allowed to grow, it births sin. And then the sin leads to death or this separation. And so for us in our life as Christians, there are the ebbs and flows when we allow ourselves to be enticed and lured by, by temptation and that temptation leading to sin. And so no, it's those times in our life when sin has been birthed and when sin has been allowed to grow and it leads to death or separation that we feel that distance from the Lord begin to well up in our life. We begin to feel like we're distant from him. And, and usually that is because we have allowed this process to take place. It is conceived of lust. And, and so this is seeking the desire of the flesh, our feelings and emotions. And these things, the desires of our flesh, the lust, uh, these compulsions that come from within us, they're usually the result of deep satisfaction, dissatisfaction. They come from deep dissatisfaction, from deep anger, from hostility, from resentment, from feelings of entrapment. Because the reality is too often our desires are stronger than our discernment. Right. When we have these deep desires, we just want we just we just feel like we just need. So we just start grasping for whatever just gives us a moment of clarity or a moment of satisfaction or or a moment of peace. And so, you know, we just function out of our feelings, you know, and Christian living is not about feelings, but it's about the will. It's about our will. You know, because if in reality, if we, we truly look at it, our kids work off feelings. Adults live by will, right? Our kids work off feelings. They work off desires. Whatever they want, they, they grasp for, they cry for, they reach for, they want for. 
But as we grow older, we begin to work separate from our feelings and we begin to work from our will, right? Because honestly, I don't feel like going to work most Mondays. I don't feel like doing certain things sometimes, but there are things that I will myself to do that, that I, I do will I do because I know what it's, I'm, I'm supposed to do. But that's separate from my feelings. And so for us, uh, these desires that we have, they must be our servants and not our masters. And that's what Paul is telling, was telling us there in Romans, that we can't allow those things to be our masters. And so not only do we know, need to know that it's not him, but it's me. And coming to that place when we can openly and honestly admit that, that, that the things that I'm doing that are separating me from God, that those are, those are my things. Those are things I've done. Those are things that are coming from the desires that I have, some needs that I feel like I have in my life. But the second thing and the last thing this morning, church, that I need us to understand is that it's not about what he is keeping from me, but it is what he is trying to give me. And I love the progression of these verses because what does he say in verse 17? He says, do not be deceived. In verse 16, do not be deceived. Do not let the enemy tell you anything different. In verse 17, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is what God has laid before us. He looks to satisfy us. He looks to, to provide for us. He lays this out. Matthew 4, 4, he says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is looking to fulfill us. God is looking to provide us. God knows the desires we have. God knows the, the, the weaknesses that, that are within us. And he looks to fill those spaces. Earlier on in chapter 7 of Proverbs, he says this before he gets into the other portion we read. He says, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, say to wisdom. This is kind of like the opposite of, of, of desires or, or of lust or adult, the adulteress that it talked about later on in that chapter. He says, say to wisdom, you are my sister and I call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Roman 8 verse 6 through 7, it says, for set your mind to set your mind on the flesh is death or separation, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. God is inviting us to stop living for lesser things and start living for the glorious things that he's laid before us. He says, take your fill in what I have for you. And this comes from our knowledge of who God is and what God's trying to do for us, that he is trying to give to us. He's not trying to take from us. A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing you think about is what you think about when you think about God. And who God is and what God is trying to do for you. If you think God is trying to hurt you, if you think God is trying to keep from you, you have an improper view of who God is. God is trying to give to us. He's trying to provide and fulfill those desires so that we don't have to grasp for the empty things of the world. And not only is he trying to give good gifts from us, but understanding who he is. It says in verse 17, he is the father of lights where there is no variation or shadow due to change. I love this, that God is not just creator, but he's father, that he's a father that never changes, a father that never leaves us in the dark. This father of lights, it communicates this idea of, of the creator of celestial bodies or, or, or planets. 
you know, sun, moon, stars, these things, that it says that, that he is the father of lights. And that the father of lights, we can understand this, that, that think of it in relation to the earth, that there is moments when there is darkness on the earth, right? But is it ever because the sun has moved? It is never because the sun has moved, right? It's because the earth has moved. Because the earth has rotated, because the earth has orbited around the sun and it has cast darkness in certain places. And so he is telling us that God is like the sun, that he never stops shining light. And if there is darkness, it's because of the variation of us and not because of the variation of God. Church, God has not gone anywhere. He has not moved further away from us. If there is darkness or sin in our life, it's because we have rotated. We have moved away from Him. We have varied. God has not varied. God's goodness is constant. God's light in our lives is constant. And if we are not seeing it, if we are not experiencing it, if we are not living in it, it is not because He has left us. It is not because there is variation in Him. Church, He is there waiting on us. He is the Father of lights. He never stops giving. And the thing that we need to understand is that if we're functioning in our feelings, it is like we are functioning in a dark room, feeling our way around for the way out, feeling our way around to try to find our way out. And for us, we need to stop living our way through the dark and start walking in the light. Start seeing what he has for us and understand what he is doing for us. He is giving for us. And he tells us in verse 18, this is what he says he's giving. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This brought forth is a conception, a new birth. That he says as a child of God, he's done something in you and for you. This word word here, the word of truth, is also the word, it's the Greek word logos, and is the word used to describe Jesus in John chapter 1. The word was God and the word was with God. Speaking of Jesus, he says that he has given us, he has given us everything through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22 says, for as by man for, but for by a man came death, or by Adam. And by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He says he has given us the word of truth. He has given us Jesus. He has given us everything that we need to find fulfillment, to find uh, satisfaction, to find value, to find worth, to find importance, that God has laid this Jesus Christ before us to see what he has done, to see what he is giving for us. And, and as we, we look at our sin, as we look at the things that are separating us, bringing us to death, bringing us to separation from the Lord, separating us from him, even at, either as non-believers where there's this chasm between us that we have not acknowledged Jesus yet, or as believers, as we fall into sin, he says that he, that he has made a way. He has made a way. And so C.S. Lewis says this. He says, it is not enough to want to get rid of one's sin. Because I know a lot of us, we just fight and we fight and we fight to get rid of our sin. He said, it's not enough to just try to get rid of our sin. Because on your own, you will never get rid of it. You'll never get rid of it. It's like this stain that you're just wiping and you're wiping and you're wiping and you're wiping. He says, you will never get rid of it. He says, so it's not enough to want to get rid of one's sins. He said, we also need to believe in the one who saves us from our sins. And that's the word of truth that he says that he has brought us forth from his will. 
that God chose, God chose you. God chose me. God chose us to bring us forth, to birth us from something greater. And so to finish up this morning, I want to lay these three things out for us. You know, I like to kind of give us something to be thinking about and to move with. But these three things this morning, three things that we need to be reminded of as we refuse the luring of our temptations and confidently enjoy God for what he has for us. And I believe it's, it's a really cool, if you read these verses backwards from verse 18 to verse 13, you'll see this laid out. These three things that we can understand. The first thing is who I am. That as a believer, who I am. In verse 18, he says, so that we should be a kind of first fruits. First fruits in, in the Old Testament, the, the first of the harvest, this was the best. This was what God required. You bring me the best and you lay it before me. And so what God is calling his people, he's calling his people the first fruits of all creatures. The best thing he ever created, he says, is human beings. He says, you and as my child are brought forth as the first first fruits. And so he tells us to remember who you are as a believer in Jesus. He says, not just as a sinner, but as a child of God, that I am a son, that you are a daughter of God, brought to life, regenerated to a new life of his own will that he chose. He wanted it. He wanted you even more specifically. He chose you and to begin to do a work in you. And the Bible tells us, if he who began a good work will bring it to completion. So to overcome our temptation, dealing with our temptation, number one, we remember who we are in Jesus. The second thing is understanding and remembering who he is. Not only an all-powerful, all-knowing creator of all that is wonderful and all-inspiring, but he is Father. He is Father sending down, sending down good and perfect gifts with no intention to change, no variation. It does not depend on who we are, or how we live or how we act. He said it is not, there is no change, no variation in who he is. He is firmly fixed in what he is doing and what he plans to do. So remember who he is. And the last thing this morning, church, is that what he gives. Who I am, who he is, and what he gives. God's gifts are always better than Satan's bargains. God's gifts are always better than Satan's bargains. God wants to give us so good. And every good thing he's given you in your life, everything you could account to good in your life is given from God. Is given from God. And, and he gives us every good thing we have and in him. And those things are perfected in him for our good. In him they're perfected. The good things that we have that are leading us to sin. Those things aren't being led to sin by God. But they're being perverted by the enemy. And so the good things God gives us. They're either perfected or they're perverted. Depending on who we're grasping for. Who we're listening to. I mean in reality you think about it. Your marriage can either be a treasure or it can be toxic. Your kids can either be a treasure or they can be toxic. Your job can either be a treasure or it can be toxic, depending on, our, on who the source is for that, who we're acknowledging has given us that. Every good and perfect thing, God perfects those things in our life. God perfects 
those things in our life. So church, I want to ask you this morning, just bow your head and, and as we kind of, as we wrap up and I'll just be real quick and we'll pray. But uh, every single one of us is walking through these seasons of temptation. No one's safe from the temptation of, that comes from within us. And so whatever, whatever your sin looks like this morning, whatever things in your life that are, are separating you from the Lord, from, from really being able to dwell on Him, think on Him, walk in Him, I pray that you, in this moment, you begin to just think on those things for a second. Those things that you think in your life, man, I, I wish I could shake this thought, this action, this intention, this, this emotion, whatever it might be. This thing that you do in secret, this thing that you've done that no one knows about, this thing that you want to do, that you plan to do, whatever it may be. These sins that are separating you from God. That as we acknowledge those things personally, all of us this morning acknowledge those things, that we begin to overcome those things by understanding, first off, who we are. Who we are in Jesus as a believer. If we've put our faith in Him. That He says that we're first fruits. That we're meant for bigger and better things than the empty satisfactions and the empty bargains of the enemy the perversions of the good things that God's given us. That we're meant for more than those things. And I pray that we would be reminded who we are and also remember who He is, that He is Father, that He is Father of light, that He does not change, that He does not leave us, that there is no variation, there is no darkness that He casts, that He constantly casts light. And in the dark spaces of our lives that we would be reminded and remember that He is waiting for us to come back around. That He's waiting. He has not left us. He has not forsaken us. And that nothing can separate us from His love that is inviting us to His table. And the last thing, that we would know what He gives and that every good thing in our life has come from Him and He sees to perfect those things where the enemy sees to pervert those things. To take treasures and make them toxic. That we would find the treasuring and the perfecting in Jesus. Seeking Him. Allowing Him into those spaces to do the only work that only He can do. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for the words of James this morning that just draws our attention Lord, to bring us to this point of, of necessary repentance. But God also brings us to this point of necessary celebration. To know that there is no variation or change. God, that as, as, as the, the, the jewel of, of, your, of, your, of your eye, God, just the, the people of your pasture... God, that you are attending to us, that you are caring for us, that you are loving us... God, in the variations, the darkness that we may find ourselves walking in time to time, God, it is not you changing, God, but us, us, us moving ourselves in these spaces of separation because of our sin, God. So I pray this morning that we acknowledge those things, God. Help us to acknowledge the process. Help us acknowledge the decisions that we make that put us in these places that draw us in, that entice us, that lead us to the sin that separates us. God, and that we would rest in the saving work of Jesus 
God, to just bring confidence in our walk, to bring joy to our life, God, to bring perfection to the good things that you've given us in our marriages, in our jobs, in our parenting, in our lives around us, God. Lord, let us rest on you for the perfecting. God, that we would stop grasping for the empty desires of the flesh and the lust of, and desires from within us. God, we would stop biting the bait that is laid before us and rest in the goodness that you've given us, that you've promised us as your people, as a first fruits coming down from the Father of lights, that we do not have to be deceived by the empty desires of the world. God, that you've given us so much. Father, so this morning we repent. God, I pray that we would repent. God, but then we can move from repentance to celebration and knowing that you have laid a victory before us. God, and even in the ebbs and flows of our temptations and our sins, God, that you do not change and you still are working in us. God, help us to not be fooled by our feelings. God, help us to walk in your light, walk and work in your victory. God, let our faith be lived out regardless of where we fall, regardless of the trials, regardless of the temptations. God, help us to keep pushing forward. Father God, help us to grow in maturity in you. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that we have together, God. And we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, I just want to thank you this morning. I want to encourage you to go back.